Morning, guys. Can we just stand together to begin this morning? I want you to take your hands and put it on your heart and close your eyes and say, Here I am, Jesus. I want to be filled. I just want more of you. Amen. Amen. Let's take a seat. I'm going to be standing for the whole message. Forgot that important part. Uh, today, our uh, nine and seven meetings, uh, we've designated Holy Spirit Sunday. Um, the Holy Spirit does not just need Sunday or nine or seven meetings to come. He can come when he likes and as he wills. Uh, but we want to give a, a, a particular focus um, uh, to him and uh, his ministry uh, today. And I, I want to kick off um, by introducing it with a, a prophetic word that was brought to us um, about uh, a year ago uh, by Councillor David Mellon, who is uh, the portfolio holder for Early Years in Education of Nottingham City Council. And he said he saw a, a picture of Grace Church as, as being like this, this big marquee tent um, that, we, that we were building, that we wanted to put the sides of the tent up, the, the, the covering uh, was there, but we wanted to put sides around it. And he was saying, no, you're not to put the sides around it. The covering is sufficient. You to let the Spirit's presence just blow through the tent. And that will accomplish all that, uh, that God has for you. And of course, uh, one of the key things about that word is that if, if we are to allow the Spirit's presence to blow amongst us as a community, we must be a people of the Spirit's presence. We must be a people of his power. And um, the, the word had particular uh, significance because that Sunday, uh, Ben was talking on, on our Vision Sunday uh, from Isaiah 54, enlarge the place of your tent. And so when God gives you a word about a tent in the lead up to it, uh, you tend to uh, stand up and take notice. So I was, um, just as an illustration of this, chatting to a, a guy at our Wednesday 12 o'clock service um, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he came up, uh, up to me. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and he said, JP, do you know I've, uh, I've had a gambling addiction for 50 years, uh, but I came to know God. I was filled with the Spirit, and I'm two years free from gambling now. And uh, how does that happen? Well, it's a lot of hard work, but it's because of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that we must learn to be a, a people of his power and his presence. So I, I want to um, speak today from, from Acts, uh, beginning Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to use a couple of different passages. Under this title, How Do We Live in the Power of the Holy Spirit? So if you've got a Bible, do uh, open it up. It'll come up on the screen as you've seen. And this is Acts 1, verse 1 to 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. <clears throat> so when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
How do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it all begins, as it does for Luke in verse 1, with Jesus. By us coming to the risen Christ. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're, you're new to church, maybe you're uh, thinking of going on that Alpha course on Tuesday that uh, Rick referred to. Uh, maybe the Bible's new to you. Maybe you'd say you've never given your life over to Jesus. Well, well, here's the deal. Jesus came to save us from having to face the consequences of all the times when we have said no to God through our self-centered decisions, our willful disobedience, every time we've rejected his ways. And Jesus did that by taking those consequences upon himself at the cross. He died for you. As God poured out his just anger against all of our disobedience on Jesus instead of on us. Jesus died that we might live. It didn't, didn't earn that, uh, end there. And uh, verse 3 that we just read out referred to it because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to show that truly he had beaten every disobedience and even death itself. And now Jesus gives you the offer of coming into his kingdom, of giving an adventure for you to spread his name all across the earth. He has a unique role for you to play in his plan. And the question is, do you want in? Do you want in? Do you want in on his offer to forgive your sin? Do you want in on his offer to give you eternal life? Do you want in on his offer to set you on an incredible journey of following him? Which is actually what you were made for. Come to the risen Christ. But for Jesus' disciples here in the passage... Before they embark on this great adventure of following Jesus, Jesus tells them to wait until they are baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Which begs the question, why? Why do they have to wait? Now, I bought a car this week. Uh, Emma and I bought a car. It's, uh, if you're interested, a second-hand Zafira. You can uh, come and tell me afterwards if that's a terrible idea or a great idea. I look forward to that. But um, we bought the car on Friday, and I did not drive it away. I'm, too dr I'm going to drive it away on Thursday. I have to wait. The question is, why? Why do I have to wait? Well, other than the fact that there's a prang in the back of it that they need to sort out, I do not yet have insurance for that car. I need to go and sort it out. That is, there is a good reason why I cannot drive that car away. There has to be a good reason why we have to wait before, before Jesus sends his disciples out on this great mission of spreading his name. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit such that Jesus asks his followers to wait? What is it that Jesus says, we need this, we need this? to do the stuff that he's called us to. Well, verse eight in our passage has the answer. And perhaps if we put verse eight up, oh, thanks, mate. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
that is an increasing distance away from yourself geographically but also culturally. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is God's empowering of us to live the Christian life. He gives us his power by giving us himself. And it's an empowering that we might live a life of witness for him. You will be my witnesses, it says in the passage. See, we we need his power to do the stuff. Whether it's to to break sinful habits or instill a godly behavior in our lives, to learn to have a devotional life, to learn to to pray or to give or to fast, whatever it might be, standing up for Jesus at, at school or at work or at university, we need his power to do it. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live the Christian life. And that is just what Jesus offers us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's have a look at this in in action then. So Jesus given them the promise in in Acts chapter 1. He then moves on to Acts chapter 2. So the Acts is basically the story of the birthing of the early church. And uh, so we're going to bring up uh, what what happens come chapter 2. I'm going to read some verses. They're already on the screen. Mike is already ahead of me. There you go. So here we go. Acts chapter 2. When, this is verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And we're going to jump down to verse 14 because Peter basically stands up and explains what on earth is going on. But Peter, standing with the eleven, this is verse 14, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, which is 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins to unpack how Joel, one of the Old Testament prophets, had foretold of a day where the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the people of God. Not just particular times, particular people, particular places, but all God's people would know the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to explain this and how it fulfills everything that's been spoken of. And uh, as the crowd here, they they get to this reaction. So we're going to jump ahead to verse 37. When the the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It was not a quiet day for Peter. Maybe he went back to wherever, and wherever he was staying. Perhaps he'd uh, got married by that point. We do know that he had a wife. And at the end of the day, perhaps had that moment that uh, married couples or housemates often have where one of you has been doing something significant in the day and the other of you has uh, not been doing that thing, and one of you wants to talk in detail about it, and the other of you does not. Yeah? Anyone identify that? There's a few smiles and nervous laughter around the room. Well, imagine Peter getting home. What did you do today, Peter? Well, uh, the, the age of the spirit came. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, of all people, got up and suddenly, in front of thousands of people, started telling everyone what was happening. And then they, they started responding and giving their lives to Jesus. In the thousand, three thousand of them. And that was just by breakfast time. I spent the rest of the day baptizing people. It was not a quiet day for Peter. But what can we observe about this, this moment as the Holy Spirit came and filled these people? Well, the first thing is that it was a noticeable felt experience that left Peter changed. It left him changed. It was a power encounter. It wasn't subconscious. It wasn't unspottable. It was actually something really quite dramatic. My experience of, of receiving the Holy Spirit was that I felt this most incredible feeling of what I now know to be the presence of God come over me like I'd never felt before. I felt a fresh assurance of my salvation come in that moment. As I've prayed for other people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, others have just had wonderful joy come about them. You're getting so happy, sometimes even starting to laugh because they're so happy in the presence of God. Sometimes a beautiful sense of peace that just falls over the person. Sometimes tears coming as people just realize afresh their adoption as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And sometimes beginning to, as happened in this passage, speak in other tongues. Begin to speak in tongues. And that brings me on to the second thing, that what happens in this experience is the people receive the, the, the Holy Spirit is that it is accompanied by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Most commonly tongues, as here, but other gifts of the Holy Spirit are referred to elsewhere as well. And, and tongues is a, a, a language that, that God gives you as he fills you with his Holy Spirit so that, that you can commune with him. It's a, a language that we don't understand. It was just like when Rachel spoke out, sung out earlier, and none of us knew. It wasn't a, a particular dialect of a particular language. It's a language given by the Holy Spirit that allows our hearts to connect with the heart of our Father. And you know, sometimes when you're just in such an incredible experience of the presence of God as the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, sometimes you need something from the depths of your heart that you just know connects with the heart of God. It helps you to connect with Him. And sometimes when people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues for the first time, they get so happy, you can't shut them up. So happy in the presence of God. It was accompanied by gifts of the Holy Spirit. But thirdly, 
being baptized in the Holy Spirit for Peter, it empowered him. It empowered him. You see, Jesus had made it pretty clear to Peter that he would have a significant role to play in the getting going of the church. When Peter confessed Jesus uh, to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, Jesus said to him, he said, you are Peter, which means rock, if you like, foundation stone, and on this rock I will build my church. Now scholars debate over the rock there, whether that's the revelation of Jesus as the Christ, or whether it's Peter himself. But either way, Peter has a big part to play in the process. The trouble was, this was the Peter who was not eloquent, who was often brash, and who regularly got it wrong. But now as the Spirit came, this was the day the church got going. And who was right at the center of it? It was Peter. He'd seen the risen Christ, he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, and because of that, suddenly, he was enabled to be the person that Jesus wanted him to be. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus several times before a handful of individuals, who now suddenly we find standing up in front of crowds of thousands, declaring to them all, you can be saved by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And and it continues in the following chapters as well. He heals a beggar, he does more public preaching, he testifies before the council, even knowing the consequences, the beatings that will come as a result. Such is the change in Peter as he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Because being baptized in the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the life of witness that God has called us to. I want to ask as we just look at that slide, do you recognize those things in your Christian life? A noticeable felt experience that just leaves us changed. Have you moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever spoken in tongues before? Have you ever prophesied before? Do you feel empowered to share your life in witness to others? Because if not, if you're not sure, there's opportunity this morning that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is what happens as a result. Now, so, some of you might ask, well, didn't I receive all of that at conversion when, when, when I became a Christian? Well, when you look at the New Testament, my contention is, is that the answer would be not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because it's clear that a person needs a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit in their life to believe in Jesus in the first place. And that's what theologians call regeneration. It's just a term for the Holy Spirit comes to our spiritually dead hearts. He makes them alive to enable us to believe in Jesus. And as we see it, we decide to become a Christian. That's a work of the Spirit. And so from that sense, every Christian has the Spirit. It couldn't be a Christian without his work. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a work of the Spirit like regeneration, but rather the gift of the Spirit himself. 
given by the Father and by the Son is what in Acts chapter 1 was called the promise of the Father. Now, if conversion and receiving the Spirit were one and the same thing, then for that to be true, receiving the Spirit would have to be automatic, but it would have to be subconscious too. It would have to be automatic, because that's, that's what we're exploring. Are they the same thing? But it would have to be subconscious, because there are so many Christians that go around without noticing any kind of felt reality of receiving the Holy Spirit, and hence it would have to be subconscious. But the New Testament simply doesn't testify to that. that. That's not the reality you see in the Scriptures. We've seen, as we've gone through, that it's, it's not a subconscious experience receiving the Spirit. It's a noticeable, felt experience. But it doesn't seem to be automatic on conversion either. Let me take you to Acts chapter 8, which is a little bit further on in the story. And so we're going to pick up um, a guy called Philip, and uh, he's a Christian. This is from verse 4, and he's preaching in a place called Samaria. And it says this, Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So that's pretty clear, isn't it? Philip rocks up, he tells them about Jesus, lots of them get saved, there's a lot of joy in the city. We all recognize that, maybe less of the unclean spirits crying out and all, all of that sort of thing. But generally, we've seen things like that. People become Christians, there's lots of joy. Yeah? But then, jump down to verse 14. When the apostles, who I guess in this context were the sort of the leaders, at Jerusalem, which is a different place from Samaria, it's about 30 miles away, that's about a day's journey. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they've, re they've received Jesus in their life. They've become Christians. They've believed. And then someone has had to take a day's journey up to Jerusalem to tell the leaders that this has happened. And they say, great, they need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. So they send someone else on a day's journey back to Samaria to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So it's got to be at least two days between them believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. You could jump forward a, a chapter into Acts 9 as well. There's a, a guy called Saul who also gets called Paul in the New Testament. And he's persecuting Christians. He's very anti-Christian. And he's riding on a horse somewhere to go and persecute Christians until he has this encounter with the risen Christ himself. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And essentially, to fast track the story, Saul realizes this is Jesus. This is the risen Christ. And, he, and his whole life, he puts his conversion to Christianity down to that moment. I saw the risen Christ. 
And what happens is that he encounters the presence of God so powerfully, he's actually blinded by the experience, so great is the light of Jesus. And he ends up in a house and waits three days for someone called Ananias to be sent by God to go to him to receive the Holy Spirit. I think, have we got this, this verse up, 917? So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which he came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Once again, it's three days between Saul becomes a Christian and receives the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not always like that. The following chapter, Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles hear the good news of Jesus. So the people who aren't Jews who live in the non-Jewish areas. They receive the word of God. And as they do, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. So we don't need to be dogmatic about it. It's not always a separation. And actually, we serve people very well if when they come to Jesus, we also pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit so they've got the power to live the life that Jesus has called them to. But I want to finish off with one final example in Acts chapter 19, which again is going to come up on the screen. And this is the guy, Paul, that we've just seen, saw Jesus, got blinded, three days later received the Spirit, and off he went. So this is Acts 19, and he comes to a place called Ephesus, which is in modern Turkey. I think it's still called Ephesus, actually. And from verse 2, it says this. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, when you believed? That's a very strange question to ask if becoming a Christian and receiving the Spirit is always automatic, always the same thing. It it doesn't make sense unless sometimes there is a gap. And, and so what happens is that he finds out they don't quite understand things properly. He tells them about Jesus. They get baptized. They are Christians. Paul, the great apostle, would not have baptized them if they were not Christians. They are clearly Christians. As they go into the pool, are they Christians? Yes, they are. Have they received the Holy Spirit? No, they haven't. As they step out of the baptism pool or river or sea or whatever they used, I don't think they set up a pool. They've just been baptized. They're full of joy. I love Jesus. Are they Christians? Yes, they are. Have they received the Holy Spirit? No, they haven't. Because we see in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. You see, sometimes Christians go for years without receiving the power to live the life that Jesus has called them to by receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's a great shame. That is a tremendous shame. And I want to encourage you to not miss out on the opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because in a few moments, we're going to make an opportunity for all who want to, to be prayed for, to receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, I need every bit of help that I can get to do and to be all that Jesus wants me to. 
So the question remains, how do I receive? How do I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus put it like this in John chapter 7. He said this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He says, if you are thirsty for more of God, come to the one who wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. See, this this isn't a reward. This isn't that you need to get to a certain standard or sort certain things out in your life. It's simply if you believe in Jesus. This isn't a reward. This is a promise. As we refer to, it's called in Acts 1, the promise of the Father for you. It's the promise of a God who keeps his promises. And if you believe in Jesus, then you can know with confidence that when you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you are asking a biblical thing of a covenant-keeping God who keeps his promises to you. And so you can know that you will be filled with his power, that you will have a noticeable felt experience that leaves you changed, that you'll feel empowered, that gifts of the Holy Spirit will begin to become available to you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the last thing is to go on being filled. And that's because the baptism of the Holy Spirit was never meant to be a once-for-all-time thing, but rather the first of many new and fresh encounters with the living God. It's the springboard into a new life of dependency on the Spirit. And actually, we find in Ephesians chapter 5 in the Bible that we're told, don't get drunk on wine, because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the, the verb there has the sense of continuation. It's saying, go on being filled. The desire of the Father for his children, for us, is that, that of continual encounter. That God wants to continue to fill us with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, do you know one of the ideas that was around when the, the term baptism was first coined? It's the idea of pickling. It's that you would take a vegetable, you'd stick it into the vinegar, and it would be pickled. God wants us to be pickled (laughs) in the Holy Spirit. He he wants our very being to change. He wants how we are, how how we function, how we smell, how we are made to change. And you know, what happens if you take one of those horrific pickled onions? I had to play a game once of stuffing them in my mouth, like chubby bunny equivalents. It was my stag day. 
chat to me after. Some great stories. They're all appropriate. It's okay. <laughs> Didn't disqualify myself. What happens if you take one of those little onions out of the vinegar? It begins to lose its flavor, doesn't it? It begins to lose its distinctiveness. That's what happens when we say, oh yeah, I was baptized in the Spirit five years ago, thanks. Now God's desire is a continual encounter. He wants to continue to fill us. The first one is utterly key and life-changing, but after that it's encounter after encounter after encounter. And for me, what that looks like is every day actively asking the Holy Spirit to fill me again, to fill me afresh for that day that I might live for Jesus. To look for moments in my day where I can just take a moment out of the day to just welcome the Holy Spirit. Just to go off to the toilet or something and just in my heart just say, Holy Spirit, I love you. I just welcome you. To look for opportunities to commune with him. To speak in tongues where I get the opportunity. Just to live in continual encounter. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to live and function out of previous encounters. I want to live and function and minister out of a continual encounter with the God who says he wants to do that in me. This week in in the Potter household, in the the, the middle uh, couple of days in the week, we just had a pretty uh, rubbish time of things, to be honest. Uh, I was ill. um, Lots of things were breaking. We were potty training. Um, I think I've managed to work out when to go. It's okay. Um, and, um, and it was just rubbish. It was just hard work. But do you know the moments that, that changed those couple of days? It was when Emma and I put our little girl Lizzie to bed. We sat on the sofa. We said, Jesus, the things are really rubbish right now. We, we just welcome you. Would you just come and change our hearts? It was at 3 a.m. in the morning on a couple of days. I couldn't sleep. My mind was going crazy. I thought, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go sit in a chair, and I I am genuinely going to just welcome the Holy Spirit. And I sat there and said, God, I'm thinking about all sorts of things. My mind feels stressed. I can't sleep. I'm thinking about all these things. I feel sick. I want to feel different. But Holy Spirit, would you just come? Do you know what? Something changed in that moment. Something changed for me in that moment. I got up different in that moment. See, that's God's desire for us, that this baptism in the Holy Spirit would be the gateway to a lifetime of encounter. So how do we live a life full of the power of the Spirit? By living a life full of the presence of the Spirit. Because what else are we if we are not a people of his presence. Let's have a band up. Why don't we stand together? As the band get ready, what we're going to do, just so you know, is that um, we're going to sing a short song in response. And I would encourage you, as as you sing that song, just to have that heart attitude of, Father, I, I just want you to pour the Holy Spirit out on me all over again. And then after we've sung that song, we're going to make a moment for you. In particular, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the very first time, 
maybe you wouldn't say you've had that noticeable felt experience that has left you feeling changed. You've never moved in the gifts of the Spirit. You've never spoken in tongues before, for instance. Maybe you don't feel that sense of empowering for witness. Well, if that's the case, we would love to pray for you, knowing that this is the promise of a God who keeps his promises. So we're going to sing a song together, then we're going to make a moment to respond, and God's going to come and change many lives in the room.